0: This afternoon's sermon was written by Barry Bukima, Reverend Barry Bukima, minister at the Emanuel United Reformed Church in Irlandia, and he chose for the text Judges 16, verse 20, and she said, "'The Philistines are upon you, Samson,' and he awoke from his sleep and said, "'I will go out as at other times and shake myself free.'" but he did not know that the Lord had left him. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, there's a story of a man named Barney who was always proud of his thick, wavy hair. But then he began to lose it. Finally, just one lone hair remained on the top of his shiny dome. One morning, Barney awoke, looked at his pillow, and was shocked to see that last hair lying there. Jumping out of bed, he ran downstairs crying, Martha, Martha, I'm bald. Well, this this ought to remind us, says Richard DeHaan, of the Christian who begins to dabble with the things of the world, getting deeper and deeper in sin, and sliding away from the Lord without even knowing what is happening. Not until he has had some startling experience, perhaps, due to God's discipline, does he see his true condition. When suddenly brought under the powerful searchlight of the Word of God, The deceived one is shocked to realize how suddenly and deceitfully Satan has stripped away his spiritual power and discernment. Well, that's what we see in Samson. For in Samson, Israel was meant to see themselves. For they too were called by grace, bound by vow, repeatedly empowered and greatly gifted, yet she was faithless, self-indulgent, and only too ready to be friends with the world. Here we see in one man that a life consecrated to the Lord, walking closely with him and reliance on his grace is the Christians and the church's only source of spiritual strength and power. That only by living a Nazarite life whose emblem of long hair is the confession that without me without the Lord you can do nothing well we know blessing and victory as individual believers couples families and as a church when we look at Samson we see ourselves strong in the Lord yet weak in ourselves. And, we will, and when we look at Delilah, whom he fell in love with, we see the seductive power of the world out to destroy us. We stand aghast at how this woman could operate so coldly as to prepare to betray Samson for cash. But what should we expect from the world whose bottom line is money and personal advantage and not the glory of God. Some hymnals have this song. Are there no foes for me to face? Must I not stem the flood? Is this vile world a friend to grace, to help me on to God? Of course not. Thus, if you listen to the seductive voice of most advertising, you'll soon feel unhappy unless your home is furnished with the latest and greatest conveniences. You'll feel bored if you're not driving their sportiest vehicles. Ugly if you're not buying their beauty aids. A misfit if you're not wearing their line of clothes. Insecure unless you're investing in their company unnecessarily poor if you're not supporting the lottery, and a loser unless you, too, are swinging with the world. In all these cases and more, they don't care about you. The world doesn't care about you. It wants your money, and it wants your soul. Especially the entertainment industry, with much of its music and film, aimed at celebrating sin and ridiculing faith and commitment to Christ. How many Christians don't seem to be blind and almost totally deaf to this as they and their children continue to just take it all in, in what they regularly listen to or watch or pay attention to on social media networks? And how many people, including Christians, who because of so-called friends, aren't destroyed by being coerced into joining them in their worldly, sin-filled parties and ungodly lifestyles because these, quote, friends and ungodly people just want to justify what they're doing by pulling you down right along with them. Again, do such people really care about you? No. They just want to use you for their own sinful self-serving ends now today much of the church is being lulled to sleep on delilah's lap as she tries to get us to betray the secret of our strength for what is the secret of our strength but a close and holy walk with god according to his word so the world says quit being so out of date Quit being so intolerant, after all, says our own Prime Minister, this is 2020, so in other words, adjust the gospel to fit in with the present thinking of our day. Quit being so puritanical, we sometimes hear, in regards to our sexual mores, as if Puritans, who were seriously reformed Christians seeking to serve God in every area of life, were really so bad. Be relevant and hold out to people what they want to hear in your message, according to the wisdom of our age. Forget about all this nonsense about what they need to hear and quit being so sure that what the Bible says is everywhere and forever true. In verse 16, we read that with such nagging, Delilah prodded Samson day after day until he was vexed and tired to death. Look at the persistence of this woman. Gently but steadily, she applies herself to her mission until Samson is destroyed. As Proverbs says, a continual dripping wears away the stone even a stone. This is what steady temptation does if we don't remove it from our lives. And that's why you've got to get rid of the drip, whatever or whoever he or she may be. The world driven on by Satan is persistent, and we see its effectiveness not only in society at large, but we see its effectiveness in the church itself. Think of this. In terms of same-sex attraction and marriage, Reverend Albert Moeller has said that what 20 years ago was considered morally deficient to accept now makes you morally deficient to oppose. Why? Because of the constant dripping of the anti-God media. And the same is true for the church. For why do churches... And lately, several Reformed federations, formerly opposed to female ordination, evolution, and same-sex marriage, now, even at a synodical level, support them all. It's not because the Word of God has changed, but because they've been worn down by the constant questioning of the sure Word of God. Thus, like a battering ram, the unbiblical arguments, as dull as they are, if they are not decisively and scripturally and persistently opposed, will actually prevail. And that's true of any sin in our life, through whatever Delilah we may be tempted to commit it. Samson's mistakes are obvious. First of all, what's he doing there with a woman whose very name connotes darkness? You may not know this, maybe you do, but the Hebrew word for darkness is Lila, and this woman's name is Delilah. Why didn't he flee Delilah's attacks? Didn't Jesus for this very reason tell us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one? Never ever are we to pursue a dialogue with the world discussing whether or not it's okay to sin for as we see when Jesus was tempted by satan in the wilderness he didn't argue he didn't discuss or negotiate about a way forward together with the devil but three times he quoted the clear and final word of god saying it is written it is written it is written Because Samson was unable to master his sensual desires, they mastered him. They were the real ropes that bound him. Unwilling to break his relationship with Delilah, he thought he could strike a compromise by joining in her game and getting as close to betraying his calling as a Nazarite as he possibly could, hoping to mislead and even placate her but he only deceives himself. The same thing happens to us, whether we fail to root out sin of our lives and compromise with the world. How many Christians and whole federations of churches haven't said in their slide into death, this far and no further, only to concede more and more the next time and more and more again to the enemy, drawing the line back further and further until there is no room left. So when we compromise with sins such as sexual immorality, stealing, angry outbursts, or whatever, you need to understand that time is always on the side of the tempter. And like Samson, we can expect the world to put the pressure on and to be offended when we resist. And refused to comply. Three times Samson resisted his temptress and looked as if he would be victorious over her, but she put on the pressure and persisted. And when she made it clear how offended she was and its implications for their relationship, when, as she said, your heart is not with me, he surrendered to her and with tragic consequences. Samson lost almost everything. He lost his secret, his strength, and even his sight. Because he refused to make a covenant with his eyes, not to look lustfully upon a woman, he's robbed of his eyes. Because he desecrated his holy office through sinful pleasure, he's deprived of his holy office as a Nazarite. And because he despised the emblem of God's strength within him, his hair, he's deprived of the Lord's presence and power as well. No child of God can sin and get away with it. No one, believer or unbeliever, can abuse the grace of God without reaping its bitter consequences. In his grace, God will keep his children from going off to hell. Yes, but in their sin, he will discipline them severely. As we see with David and his sin with Bathsheba, and as we see with Samson here, thus Samson is not carried off to hell, but to prison. Yet, how many are there who, even with such warnings, refuse to repent? Those who say with the pre-Christian Augustine, Convert me, Lord, but not now. Change me, but not yet. Oh, what danger, indeed even eternal danger for such a person. For if you die this way, unrepentant and hardened in sin, you'll have to grind at the mill of hopeless despair forever. Think of it, in the very city whose gate Samson had carried off some time before in great victory, he now sits imprisoned, bound and conquered as a slave, and made to do the work of an ox. How does this happen to such a person? How does it happen to a church or a whole federation of churches? Well, most often, this destruction is not due to a blowout, but we could say to a slow leak, a failing in zeal for the Lord and of keeping our spiritual fervor, as Romans 12 verse 11 says, of letting our love grow cold and allowing the dismal glitterings of the world to outshine the surpassing glory that is ours in Christ a failing to live close to the Lord, fighting against sin, and delighting as an ambassador and witness to Christ to make a difference in the world and bring honor and praise to the name of our Father in heaven. Thus, through spiritual erosion, we suffer the shearing of our sacred locks and therefore of our special strength in the Lord. Then what Samson says to Delilah in verse 17 becomes all too true in the spiritual realm. For we all, sorry. For when we fail to live as Nazarites unto God, that is, those who depend upon God's spirit, to live a life that departs from evil and devote ourselves to the Lord and the demonstration of his almighty power, then we too become weak like any unbeliever. We become a child of the world and captive to the power of sin and Satan. Samson Hare was not the source of his strength, but the symbol of his consecration to God, of which his seven uncut braids were its sign and seal. And to renounce that would result In nothing less than, as Samson says, my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. So why is the church so weak today, especially in the Western world? Why so irrelevant to our present society? Why are Christians at large so timid in their testimony, so ineffectual and lukewarm, Isn't it because, like Samson, we're flirting with the world and have, in many cases, gone to sleep with our heads on her lap? Isn't it because we become too much like anybody and everyone else in the world? As someone has said, the saddest words in all the Old Testament may be found in verse 20 of our text. Stating the tragedy of a person unconscious of the fact that the Lord has left them and that they stand defenseless before the enemy. And what happens when the Lord forsakes his people? Well, we have a terrible and striking example of just that in Numbers 14, verses 40 to 45. For when unbelieving Israel regretted the consequence of not being able to enter into the promised land, of believing the report of those 10 unbelieving spies, they said in defiance to God's word, preventing them from going into the promised land, that nonetheless, they would go up and fight for the place that the Lord had promised. But Moses says to them, this will not succeed. Do not go up, because the Lord is not with you. You will be defeated by your enemies, because you have turned away from the Lord. He will not be with you, and you will fall by the sword. And that's exactly what happened. Amazingly, Samson was not subdued by a mighty army, but by just one temptress. So the church is not destroyed by any amount of persecution but by unbelief and by apathy towards the Lord. This is why we need to repent of this and look at our lives and every day rededicate ourselves to the Lord. For as God promises in Deuteronomy 28, if you fully obey the Lord your God, then the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. And all these blessings will come upon you. The Lord will establish you as His holy people. Then all the people on earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they will fear you. Oh, that that would be true today of every Christian, and indeed of the church herself. Beloved, have you looked into the mirror lately? not a literal mirror, but the mirror of God's law? Are you, are we, going spiritually bald? Amen. Let's respond with the singing of hymn 55.